0: Good morning, Door Creek. It's good to be with you today. My name's Mark. If you're a guest here, really glad that you could join us. And it is a big day, as I just mentioned before on the video, as we're opening up officially today, the doors of a new campus on the north side of Madison. And um, it it is so exciting. And look forward to heading over there right after services. And, And you can, too, if you want to be part of the festivities as we welcome neighbors and kids and the Northside neighborhoods there, and so great, great day, great morning, good to be together with you, and a great opportunity just to say thanks for just this generous outpouring of year-end giving, and so over 600,000 came in in the last couple of months, and so super grateful for that, so thank you so much for your generous response. So we're starting a new series. For the next four weeks, we're going to dive into this matter called Family Matters. And uh, when we think of the word family, depending on where we're at and depending where our family's been, you know, that that could be a really hard kind of subject to delve into. And um, just as you think about that word family right now, if we were to do like a word association, um, what would be the one word, if I said family, what would you kind of immediately, this is popping into my mind, would it be that kind of, very cautious response of interesting, which we may conclude that, well, yeah, there could be some stuff going on if they respond with the word interesting. Could it be hard right now? Could it be painful or broken? Uh, could it be hopeful? Could it be growing? Could it be beautiful? Could it be great? Could it be loving? Well, what's the one word that you think of right now when you hear the word family? And we probably all have different responses, but we might come a little closer together when we think about what's the one word we'd like to have describe our family. Would it be loving? Would it be united? Would it be healed? Would it be moving forward? What would it be? And is there any chance that God has like a word for the family? So I was noodling on a little bit this week and I think there actually is a word. and If you go right back to the very beginning of the story, right after Adam and Eve have been cre- created, in chapter 1, verse 28, it reads, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, and so is the beginning of the first family and families throughout the Bible. He blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Chapter 12, we meet up with this guy named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you And your family, so that all the families of the world would be blessed. I was thinking, huh, I wonder if that would be a good way of saying, what's God's one word for the family? Blessed. He wants our families to be blessed. It's kind of a church word. It's a Bible word. Although we hear it today, right? Someone might say, after, you know, a great achievement, award, victory, you know, I've been so blessed in their success. They'll use language like that. I've been blessed. When the Bible uses that word blessing or blessed, there's kind of these twin ideas. The first is that you have God's approval, and because of that, you're happy. So when Jesus uses the word blessed in the Beatitudes eight, nine times there in chapter five of Matthew's gospel, he's saying, These are the people who are approved. These are the people that are happy, people who are poor in heart, people poor in spirit, pure in heart, people who mourn over their sin, who hunger and thirst over righteousness. So this idea of our families being blessed is a wonderful, wonderful idea to get our heads and minds and hearts around in these next four weeks. He wants our families to succeed. He wants them to meet his approval that we would experience his joy and happiness. And so, There's a lot of changes, though, that are going on. There are a lot of challenges and have already always been challenges for the family, going all the way back to the beginning. So let's kind of just catch up with some of the changes and some of the challenges as we delve into this subject of the family. Well, one of the realities, and it's not a good thing or a bad thing, it just is, and it's a changing thing, is people are getting married later in life. So guys, average is 28, women, 29. Obviously, we're having children later, and we're having less kids, so 1.84. I don't know how do you get 8-4 kids, but you know what I mean. 2015, more couples are living together before marriage. More kids are being raised by a single parent. 30 to 40% of kids born today will live with an unmarried parent sometime in their growing up period. That used to be like 10% 50 years ago. Up to 40%. Here's some demographics. You won't be able to read it all, but you'll get the flow of it. So the top gold color there is showing the percentage of kids that were living with two parents in their first marriage in 1960, 73%, and 2013, five years ago, 46%. You drop down two colors of the dark green. Nine percent of kids were in a family where it's just a single parent. Today it's thirty-four percent, according to Pew's research. Things are changing. The definition of family has changed. Not only that, we've got this mounting expectations to be this perfect family, to be the perfect dad, the perfect mom, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, to have the perfect kids. And and I'd say that's always been a dynamic, but man, the stakes are up to another level. You guys that are raising families today, you have pressures that Lori and I never had in the 80s and 90s when we were raising our young family. And I'm talking about social media. And social media is great. It's great to be able to connect with people. It's fun to see the pictures, but there's this implicit kind of thing that's going on that's that's not really real it's kind of like we're photoshopping our family and we're just giving you these little daily bits and pieces oh every now and then there's a funny meltdown thing but a lot of what's going on is these positive things about our spouse about what we're doing with our kids and and you can be watching all of that and you come out the other end going i am an awful parent my husband's not that great as her husband is. I don't feel like I'm any, you know, all this comparative stuff going on. My kids aren't measuring up. That's always been a dynamic, but it's just heightened today because of social media. And so we long to be that perfect family. I jokingly say, you know, just bring it back to the Beavers, right? To Ward and June, <laughs> Wally and the Cleaver family. And, but it's all an illusion and it's elusive. And so here's the disclaimer as we get in the family. Lori and I will celebrate 37 years in a couple of weeks here, the 26th. And we have five wonderful children. Our oldest is married. She's got a great husband, John. We love John. And they've got a perfect grandson, child, Henry, our grandson. So we've got five kids. And, um, you know, Luke just turned 21. And so I haven't been waiting for Luke to turn 21 so I could write the book on parenting because we've done it all right. We haven't done it all right. We haven't done marriage all right. We've struggled. We're not the perfect parents. And I want you to know that. We're we're not perfect. Your family's not perfect. And the the thing that happens when we come, guys, on a Sunday is man, it, it sure could look like everybody's got their stuff together. And you walk in here like life is really hard right now, you're struggling in your marriage perhaps or with your kids or whatever it is with mom and dad. So I just want you to know, we're not perfect. We're not leading perfect families. Your family's not perfect. The families in the 50s weren't perfect. There was a time where I felt like everybody was trying to chase back to the 50s as if the 50s was this perfection and everybody was doing it right. Look, the 50s, they brought in the 60s, which was craziness. So the family wasn't perfect in the 50s. And the family wasn't perfect in Jesus' day. And Jesus' family wasn't perfect, okay? And so the reason the family isn't perfect is because we're broken people. And we're not fully restored into Christ's likeness yet. And so we live in a fallen world where things are twisted and broken. And we ourselves aren't like Christ, perfectly loving God with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. And so there's these great gaps. And what we need is grace. And what we need is truth. And that's what this series is intended to be. To move towards the word of God, which is all about the son of God. And here's what we know from John chapter 1, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so we want God's goodness, his grace, his truth to wash over us, to renew our minds, to change how we think, that we change how we live, that we would realize more and more what it means to have God's blessing resting over our marriages, our relationships within our families and within the church family. So the family matters to God. It was his idea from the very beginning. The story opens with the family and it ends with a very different family from Adam and Eve's family to God's family. We're not married in heaven, Jesus says. No, actually we're brothers and sisters gather around our Heavenly Father, the new heaven here on earth. And so it's the cornerstone of society, and it has always been so from the very beginning. And it's God's chosen instrument, the family, our nuclear biological family, along with the church family. It's always been His chosen instrument to move His purposes forward in this world. And so we're going to dig into singleness today. Singleness matters why it matters and what God's word says about singleness, marriage next week, parenting and raising kids and how some of us are doing that as grandparents and what that looks like as aunts and uncles, right? And then the last week is all about honoring our parents and understanding the difference between making them happy and honoring them. And for younger people who are still under their parents' roof, the whole concept of what does it look like to obey our parents? So today, we delve into singleness let me first of all say, so why does it matter? Why is it important for us to talk about singleness? Well, let me me do something that for some of us as we were talking was like a little aha moment. Singleness is inevitable. All right? Singleness is inevitable. You either are single or you were single or most likely you will one day be single. The chances of Lori and I dying on the same day, I don't know what it is. Some actuarial can tell us. It's, it's a very small percentage. You either are, you were, or you will be. It's inevitable, all right? There's a second thing we know. Is there a lot of single people in this world today, just in our country, a little over 300, 300 million people, 110 million people are single, So that's never married, divorced, widows, widowers. 45% of the U.S. adult population. In our county, 51%. In our church, 31%. There are a lot of people who are single. Let me keep going. Singles over 65. How many people do you think that is? It's a lot. 20 million, 19.5. Just about half of all households... 48% are being led by a single parent. So it's a huge number. It represents a whole lot of people. In our church, about a third. In our county, about half. In our country, about the same. Why singleness? Because the Bible says singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. You may think right now, it feels like it. It's not a curse, it is a gift. It is a gift that uniquely positions us as a single Christ follower to have a greater impact for the kingdom. But that gift is so misunderstood and that's why it's really important that we talk about it. And it's misunderstood by the people who should know it most clearly because of what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 7 about singleness being a gift. And so it's misunderstood by the very people, the church, who should know better. So I was reading Kostenberg's excellent chapter from his book, God, Marriage, and Family on singleness, and he said this. People in the church often see singleness as a problem to diagnose. It's probably no exaggeration to say that the thought that singleness could be an acceptable permanent state has not even occurred to many people in our churches today. Not occurred to many parents as they think about our kids growing up, that this is an acceptable permanent It's permanent. It's a gift from God. And Paul's going to argue in our passage later that it's even better. We got to catch up with that. There's lots of misunderstandings around singleness. So grab your Bible. Let's get into the text. We're in 1 Corinthians 7. So we're moving towards the back of our Bibles. If you're new to the Bible, grab your table of contents after the book of Acts, Romans, Romans, 1 Corinthians, right before 2 Corinthians. Paul's the author. He is writing to a group of Christians in a church in a city of Corinth, hence it's called Corinthians. He planted the church. He spent about 18 months. This church is uh, located in modern-day Greece, not far from Athens. Those of us who travel to Israel and Greece, we went to Corinth. It's like Madison. It's an isthmus city, two ports on either side and it was a very cosmopolitan place. It was this Roman colony in this Greek setting here in Greece, and Paul is, is catching up with correspondence. So he's written a letter. They've responded. We, we know about that from chapter 5, verse 19. In the beginning of chapter 7, he talks about their Response with their questions when he writes now for the matters you wrote about. And so he's going to talk about subjects like marriage and divorce and singleness and remarriage and sexuality and spirituality because there likely is this backdrop of belief here that if you really want to be spiritual then you don't get involved in any way with sex. Because that's earthly and we're going to be spiritual here. So there's all this stuff going on and he goes in and he tackles these things. In verses 1 through 7, he's talking about marriage. We'll catch up with that next week. But at the end of 7, I want you to notice what he says. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. He's talking about marriage and singleness, both gifts from God. Look down at verse 8. Now to the unmarried, so this is the younger single, and the widows, the older, who once were married, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul's writing is a single man. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So, clearly, Paul has made a case that singleness is a gift. Is that how you're thinking about your present marital status? I'm single and I hate it. Is it a gift? Or is it something you're trying to work out of and work through? How do we see singles as a church, those of us who are married? It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. Now he's going to expound on that. Look down at verse 25. We start to understand why it's called a gift. Now about virgins, this would be the single women, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, I'm not going to reference Old Testament teaching here. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I'm giving you new revelation here, and you can trust it. In 2 Peter 3.16, by the way, Peter talking about Paul's writing says, man, sometimes it's hard to understand. Yeah, a lot of us have studied Paul and said the same thing. You're right, Peter. And then he goes on to say, but Paul is, is the same as the scriptures that we have, the Old Testament scriptures. That's how Peter viewed Paul's writing. And so he's not just giving us something to think about. and It's just Paul's opinion. It doesn't really have any authority and weight. No, he's saying, no Old Testament teaching. Here's some new teaching, and it's trustworthy. Verse 26, because of the present crisis. Now, we're not really exactly sure. Historians would say, well, there's some famine going on in the middle of the first century. This is probably written somewhere around 50 AD, you know, less than 20 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. This crisis could be referencing that famine, but it's more likely referencing uh, the the, the soon coming crisis of his return. Because look down at verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. Jesus is coming back. So back into verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Don't seek a change. Don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Don't seek a change. Don't look for a wife. But if you do marry a single person, you haven't sinned. Just to be clear, you haven't sinned, and and young woman if a virgin marries she is not sinned but truth in advertising he says just so let me just kind of highlight the fine print you you're going to get married and you got all these expectations but let me just (laughs) let me just open your eyes to something look at it at at the end of the verse but those who marry will face many troubles in this life and some of you right now go that's where I'm at facing troubles in my marriage right now. And Paul says, I want to spare you of this. So that word troubles literally means pressure. It's the same word that would be translated in the New Testament for tribulation or persecution or affliction or suffering. There's pressures. There's unique pressures in this thing called marriage. That's why we're always working on our marriage it's not static and so in verses 29 through 31 he's gonna say so in light of the fact that the time is short don't be distracted if you're married live like you're single if you're mourning don't get so consumed in your your grief that you can't be ready for Christ's return and get others ready. If you're happy, don't, don't lose your way here. If you're in this place where you can buy things and you're living in this world, don't get caught up in the stuff and the material stuff of this world. Christ is coming back, and that stuff isn't going to matter. And so be ready and get others ready. Reminds me of my good friend Steve Nelson, who for many years worked with our high school ministry, back in Wheaton, single guy. He was this example of someone who had just this added capacity to just invest in a student's lives. And Steve always said the same thing. I want to take as many people to heaven as I can. I want to take as many people to heaven. So look down. We keep going. Verse 32 he elaborates on why singleness is a gift and on the pressures that are unique to people who are in a marriage. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. So, single, concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, how he can please Jesus. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided, Pleasing the Lord, pleasing his wife. The affairs of the world, his family, and the affairs of God, building Christ's kingdom. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord so there's these playoffs right so you've got you've got the person who's married husband or wife and and they've got the affairs of this world and how to please their spouse we'll talk about that next week what a wild little footnote so when's the last time you were thinking not when you were dating but what now that you're married and maybe it's like Lori and I 37 years when's the last time you were thinking about hey how, how do I please my wife today so you got the affairs of this world. The single person, he has the concern over the affairs of the Lord. This one, how they can please their spouse. The single person, how they can please the Lord. This person has these divided commitments and loyalties to their spouse and to their family. This has an undivided opportunity to be singularly focused and move forward the mission of God, hence the gifts, And I'm throwing notes all over the place. I don't even know if I need these, notes, but I better pick them up in case I do, right? So, you get where he's going? You're freed from these concerns. This is why it's a gift. They're both gifts, but this is why singleness is a gift. Because look, at in the Old Testament, singleness was, was undesirable, Singleness meant you were vulnerable. Your husband died, you're a widow, you're in trouble. There was laws called the Leverite laws where your brother-in-laws were to help you get pregnant so that you could have kids, so that you would be secure. That's your social security. So Old Testament teaching is is marriage is God's way, singleness is undesirable with an exception here or there to serve God as a single person, but a huge exception. So Paul's talking about this and for this first century audience, they're they're not going, oh, that's interesting. They're going, what? You just said singleness is a gift? Yeah, that's what he said. This is new teaching. They got everybody's attention and ought to get ours. We ought to catch up with that. Remember, this is not written to us. It's for us. It was written to them. And when they heard it, it was shocking. A gift? Wow. Never thought about it like that. I mean, it'd, it'd be like me saying, and, and I'm not connecting these two, but in terms of how you, you associate things. If I told you, actually, homelessness and being homeless is a really wonderful thing. It's a gift. I'm like, what? you talking about? How so? You see what I'm saying? It was a shocker for them. So you're freed up for greater kingdom impact. You're freed up from the cares and concerns of this world. So I'm going to use, maybe it's a silly illustration, but I think it'll be helpful. I'm going to use bike riding as an example. So Lori and I were bikers before we got married. She had her nice uh, Raleigh 10 speed. I had a Schwinn 10 speed. When we got married, we did a lot of bike riding together. One of our first dates was a bike ride. We love bike riding. We still like to bike ride. So uh, then a few years into marriage, Laura's born, no problem. We, we hooked up this bike seat on the back of my bike and little Laura, she was old enough. She just sat in there with her little helmet on and we went tooling around everywhere, no problem. And then two years later, Bridget came along, no problem. We got a bugger, attached it to my, to my bike and we were pulling all over America. No problem. Three years later, Claire comes. All right, we got two in the bugger. We got one on the seat. Three years later, Peter comes. Now Laura's, you know, she's got her training wheels on, and now the bike ride's slowing down a little bit. And then a couple years later, Luke comes. And now we're tooling around America slowly. You know, I've got right now, I've got that little computer thing, and I can see how fast we're going, and I get all that. We, we didn't need a computer thing because the goal wasn't, our goal was just to have fun, and it wasn't about going fast. In fact, look at this picture. I mean, here's this family that's figured out you could have a tag along and the bugger did the tag. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know that back. That would have been really handy to know. And then you got this gal right here and she is just cruising. And so we're going down what was called the prairie path. It'd be like glacial dremlin here, one of the bike trails in Madison. And it's slow going because you know, one of the kids falls over. Now there's a, there's a banged up knee and one of the kids pacifier fell out. So we got to go back into the bugger and get all the screens open and get the pacifier oh my goodness there's a poopy diaper now we got a handle of poopy diaper and now the kids are fighting about who's on whose side and I mean it's just slow going meanwhile everybody who's on their bike by themselves they're just flying they're just flying you get it all right and so it's it's not wrong he's not saying it's wrong that we have these responsibilities in marriage these are good things and we can build the kingdom through our families but, but you have an opportunity as a single person to make a greater kingdom impact because you were freed up from these concerns. You don't have the affairs of the world like a married person does. Hence a gift. And so he says to fully receive this gift and not dismiss this gift. You know, live your lives wholly, fully devoted with un. Divided loyalty to the Lord. In body, with your body and with your spirit, your mind, your, your will, your emotions, all that you are, body, mind, and soul. Honoring him sexually with your body, with your, with your thinking and your attitudes, with your mind. And this has huge implications for us today. Huge implications for singles because the pressure is, man, if we found someone and it seems like it might be going well and maybe, maybe we should just live together. I mean, it's just like what everybody does now. We just assume now that when we meet with a couple and they're talking about marriage, that they're living together. That's the new normal as a pastor. That was not the new normal when I started 35 years ago. And so there's huge implications here. And so he says, undivided devotion would be marked with our body setting apart. We're we're holy to the Lord. That means we've set apart all that we are for God and his purposes. Our bodies, our minds, our attitudes, our our, our desires, (laughs) all for him. And so what happens when we live together is there's nothing wrong with desiring intimacy and relationships. That's, that's a beautiful thing. He didn't create us to be people who live isolated. He's brought us into relationship, first with himself and with each other. Nothing wrong with wanting that. Nothing wrong with wanting to understand, is this person, would this be a person who would be a good match? For, nothing wrong with that. But when you actually start living together, what you're doing is you're gaining the benefits of marriage, and sexually, that's part of what I'm talking about. It's more than that, but it's not less than that. But you don't have the protection of the covenant and the commitment of marriage. And you actually put yourself in a position where you don't have God's approval, you don't have his blessing, and you are out of position to actually exercise this gift and maximize it. You're, you're out of position here. And if you don't know the data, you're actually not helping the cause. It doesn't mean your marriage is going to go better because you live together. Actually, the data says something different. So he's talking about these things. The Bible not stuttering on the issues of life coming right from the first century right into our faces. And so he's saying single woman, single man, live fully devoted lives for God. Concern about his affairs. Undivided devotion. Bodies, spirits, wholly set apart for him. So, there's the last thing that he says and it has to do with this word better down in verse 36. Verse 36. Is anyone worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to? And his passions and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does right also. Oh, that's not what it says. Does better, does better for the reasons he's just stated. So th- this, is, this is a hard word, but it's a good word. This is, this is a, a new word for the people back in Corinth and, and, and it needs to, to, f- to just wash over us as a new word to open our eyes to what God is saying about singleness. And by the way, we ought to remember Jesus was single, the perfect God, man was single his entire life. In fact, looking to Jesus is the most helpful way to get it right here because as Christ fathers, then we have his spirit in us that is gonna help us live undividedly devoted lives to the Father like he did. He did that. Jesus did. Always seeking to do the Father's will. He gave himself fully to the work of the kingdom. He knew exactly what his job was, and at the end of the day, he says, I've done everything the Father, you've asked me to do. I've accomplished it all. He was holy, set apart, body, mind, and soul, exercising self-control. His spirit gives us the gift of self-control. Tempted, even sexually, in every way as we are, yet never caved in, gave in without sin. He cared for singles. He did life with singles. He hung out with singles. He had mercy and compassion. He had singles on his ministry team. We get it right. So a word to singles. Just because we're single doesn't mean we're not distracted. You may not have the distraction of family, but you could be distracted right now with your career. You could be distracted with, I want to get married. Nothing wrong with getting married, wanting to get married. That's clear in the Bible. That's a gift too from the Lord. But we could be distracted. We could become just so over focused on one thing that we're out of position to actually maximize where God has us right now. So devote yourselves fully to pleasing the Lord, exercising self control, committing all you are, body, mind, and soul, to move his purposes forward. Nothing wrong. wanting to get married but if you're going to get married the scripture is clear here and we'll see it in just a bit here down at the end of the chapter marry someone in the language here in the text says who belongs to the lord who doesn't just say yeah i'm good with that but they're actually in a relationship with christ They have a desire to grow to be more like Christ. They have an appetite for his word. They they want to see more of their lives, all of it, surrendered to him and conformed to his purposes and more of their lives becoming and behaving and acting like Jesus, someone who belongs to the Lord. So there's three questions out of the text that a single person ought to be asking. First is this, do I see singleness as a gift today? Or like, man, uh, No. So thanks for giving me that insight because it's not how I've been thinking about it. There's a second question. Are God's affairs my concern? Or am I concerned about the things of the Lord? Does Jesus' mission in this world have traction in my life? Third question. Does my devotion to Christ include my body and my spirit? Finding community is going to be really important if you're doing life on your own right now as a single person. And we want to help you find that. Whether it's the young adult nights who gather, some young marrieds, but a lot of young singles too. And this newly forming 35 plus singles group that is going to be forming right now this fall. Find community. You need to have godly counsel. This is a really important time in your life and you want to be able to say to someone, not what do you think? I want want to know what you think. No, you don't want to know what they think. You want to know what are the biblical principles that I need to be thinking about so that I can make wise decisions that are God-honoring. You need godly counsel, and you need places to serve. And so let me just say a huge shout-out. To the scores and scores of singles in this place who are serving in our kids' ministry right now, in our student ministries, and they're part of our worship arts, and they're part of our community development. They're leading life groups and participate in all kinds of ways. Thank you. And forgive us for sometimes making you feel like you could be invisible here. Because it's easy to do if you're married. And all you need to do is ask to a widow, a recent widow, a recent widower, who will tell you, wow, wow. I remember the phrase my dad used when he lost my mom. He said, the silence is so loud, Mark. It's so loud. And I caught up with a widow last night. He said, that is exactly right. And you know what's going to happen for those of us who are married? We're we're very likely going to lose a spouse. And and we're gonna we're gonna hear ourselves say this to a close friend who before us lost their spouse, and and we're gonna say something like, "I am so sorry." Because I didn't I didn't have a clue. I just didn't know. I am so sorry that I wasn't there. And, and so church, singleness is this gift. Singleness is like this huge Ferrari horsepower engine to just do great things for God these are people who don't have a problem to be fixed this isn't a curse this is a great gift and it's a gift to them and it becomes a gift to us in Christ's work in this world and we want to celebrate that we want to move towards that with open arms and hearts and minds that are informed by the word of God widowers you're free to remarry. Look at verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. So you're free to remarry, but make sure, make sure this person belongs to God, and make sure you know the distinction And this is true for anybody who is considering remarrying. Make sure you know the difference between, um, I know what I'm looking for, and that you're getting what you're looking for. And you don't get that with age, you get it with time spent. So I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people who are confident. This is this perfect, perfect, perfect. And, and some of these people are like old, older, mature Christians who are coming together in their second marriage and it doesn't work. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean you're not moving from Pennsylvania? You said you were happy to sell your house and come to Wheaton, Illinois, and, and we'd start our life. You don't, you don't want to move to Pennsylvania? Oh, my word. And three months in, it's over. It's over. Or you go, oh, I had no idea there was that side of that person. I never saw that before. You may know what you're looking for. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. And there's no guarantees of that, by the way. But if you do not spend time, significant time, over the seasons of life, you are putting yourself in a precarious place. And Paul says, by the way, you know, You've had one family and there's a lot of complexities with that and it just is going to be easier if you just don't even remarry. But if you do, it's all good. Just make sure he he or she is a Christ father, belongs to the Lord. And there's divorce. <laughs> you're single. It wasn't necessarily your desire. It's certainly not God's design. And you're going, well, I, I'm not freed up. No, you're not from the categories here because you have the responsibilities of a married person. That is, you're a parent and you've got kids. And so that doesn't mean God can't meet you and all your brokenness right now and heal you and make you strong. And if you're a single woman, be your husband and protector and provider. But it does mean there's a unique place that you have in this world. And as a church, you need to know that we do not look at that as like the unforgivable sin. How could have you ever done that? That happens in a broken, twisted world with people who aren't perfect. So you focus on your kids, and your mission is to point them to Jesus, the hope of all of our lives. So for those of us who are married, let's get our thinking in line with God's word and let's change our actions and our attitudes. Let's take the initiative to be inclusive. Here we talk about we're, we want to be a church for all people. Well, one of the things, and it really has, so it, did you catch the statistic? 51% of Dane County is, is uh, single. 31% of our church. So we don't actually mirror the very, communities that we do life in and so we talk about being a Christ-centered church for all people and we'll talk a lot about race and ethnicity but marital status let alone economic status which I think is the biggest divide but marital status it is easy to come into play even in a place called Door Creek Church where we say we want to be a Christ-centered church for all people well, for that to happen, married people, we've got we to change the dynamics of how we see people and do life. And so I want to encourage you. Some of the richest relationships we've had and have are with single people, younger and older. You guys grace our lives. You grace our families. We're so glad that you're part of God's family, that you're our brother, that you're our sister. We need to bring that into our thinking, and into our living, into our small groups. And as married couples, we need to go back to that section 29 through 31 and not lose our way. He says in 29, because the time is short, if you're married, live like a single person. He's not saying go get divorced. He's saying be not distracted by your family commitments so that you're not leaning in to all that God is doing and wants to do in and through your life. Don't be distracted about material possessions and buying and selling things. Don't be distracted by your emotional state, the highs and lows of it. Focus in, focus in. And so the challenge then for all of us is this undivided devoted life to Christ. We say we're joining God and changing people into devoted followers of Christ with an undivided loyalty and devotion. And you know what? I can't tell you, and here's how you get there. All I can say is praise God that he says he helps us get there. And here's the promise in Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 that's fulfilled by the Spirit of God, even Christ's Spirit in us, who have placed our lives and our hope in Jesus. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they'll follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They'll be blessed. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Let's pray. And Father God, we bless you that you know our hearts, that you sent your Son to heal our hearts, And that you can give us an undivided heart that is now ruled by your spirit. The things that ruin things, our life with you and with each other from that hard heart has been made a new heart, a beating heart, a heart after yours. Keep growing that, creating us a a clean heart. Forgive us, Lord, where we haven't been tuned into your affairs forgive us where our bodies and spirits whether we're single or married today haven't been fully set apart for you forgive us lord if we've lost our way and thank you that we can call you father because of your son who is our hope to receive and to share your blessing god's people said amen